Thank you for listening to this week's message from Go Church. We hope it encourages you today. For more information about Go Church, check us out online at letsgo.church. We hope you enjoy today's message. I want to try to be as brutally honest as I can be today about myself and about this topic. And here goes. I do not feel like I am an awesome parent. (laughs) I don't feel like I'm an awesome parent. I feel like a lot of the times I'm just not very good at it. You know, I try. Sometimes it goes really well. Sometimes it doesn't. And sometimes I don't know what made it good or made it bad. I'm just trying to figure it out. So this is me being real. Let me ask you a question and see if you'll do the same. How many of you ever feel like as parents you could be better? Like how many would just admit sometimes you're not very good at it? I'm going to raise my hand on this. Sometimes you're just not very good at it. You're trying, but you make mistakes. You're trying to figure it out. Okay, we're all being honest. This is good. So we're talking about parenting today. We're ending hopefully in a powerful way with our series, Extraordinary Relationships. We've talked about relationships, talked about dating. Today, talking about parenting. Found a couple of quotes about parenting that ministered to me. And I want to share them with you. Hopefully, they will minister to you as well. 90% of parenting is just thinking about when you can lie down again. For the young... The parents of the young kiddos. (laughs) That one ministered way back in the day, Nick Parent. Parenting hack. There are no hacks. Everything is hard. These kids don't listen. This is your life now. Godspeed. (laughs) Having children is like living in a frat house. Nobody sleeps. Everything is broken. And there's a lot of throwing up. (laughs) Parenting. Now listen, parents. None of the kids listen. Just turn your ears off for a second. Parents, can we disagree that sometimes parenting is hard? It's hard. Last time I checked, I didn't have like courses to take to learn how to be a parent. There was nothing up in the cloud that I could just reference and download. There was no long extended training sessions from my parents to me on how to be a parent. You just kind of become one. And then you figure it out, which is why the first child, you need to really pray for them a lot. We're learning uh, with the first child, man. So the second and the third, they've got it a little bit better. By the time if you have a big family, fourth or fifth, it's like you kind of give up again altogether. And it's like, just raise yourself. It's kind of feral in the house. Today with parenting, I, I want to share from my heart about this. And I've been trying to figure out what is parenting like for me. And my mind, I got to admit, sometimes I've got a little bit of a weird brain. But in thinking about parenting, my mind went to my golf game. I don't know, just in preparation for the message, I'm sitting here, I'm trying to write about parenting. I'm like, what is parenting like for me? And I thought about my golf game. Like, it is a lot like my golf game. Because in golf, every once in a while, I mean like a solar eclipse, every once in a while, I hit an amazing shot. Every once in a while. I mean, you just hit it pure. You don't even feel the ball. The flight is so beautiful. It's going in the right direction, people. It's in the air. It's going in the right direction. It lands and it sticks on the green, and I even make the putt. Sometimes I do that parenting, but it's rare. More often than not, it feels like 
the rest of my game, where I am stressing about shanking the ball, hitting a tree, the ball bouncing off of the tree, coming viciously fast towards my face, me ducking so I don't get hit. That is a very specific example because that has actually happened. A lot of times that's what parenting feels like. I'm afraid I'm going to mess it up. I'm afraid I'm going to swing and miss. I'm afraid my entire technique might be wrong. Every once in a while it's great. It's like golf, man. Every once in a while it's great. And you hit the green and it's beautiful. But other times you shank it and you hit the tree. Sometimes it's a lot like golf where there's cheering and it's happiness. And there's other times when there's yelling and booing. Lots of yelling. And also like golf, sometimes there's lots of drinking. Gatorade. Drinking of Gatorade. The orange Gatorade is the go-to. Golf and parenting. Sometimes it's similar. I want you to think about your parenting. How would you describe it? How do you feel about it? What grade would you give yourself? Now, I want us to think about parenting, of course, from a parenting angle. If you're a parent, I want you to think about you being a parent. But at the same time, every single one of us here are kids of parents. Now, some of those parents are grandparents and older. But you know what? You never stop being a kid. So I want us to think today, not just, you know, parenting kids, but also being a kid. And how can I grow in gratitude, grow in thankfulness, grow in love to my parents, no matter your age, also, teenager students in the house, how can I find a little bit of appreciation for the mom, the dad that I think are crazy sometimes, but you know love you? And parents, how can we start improving? How can we start practicing? How can we start turning some of those shanks into ones that stick on the green? How can we get a little bit better? I want us to pray right now that God would open up our heart, that we would hear his truth, that we would move forward, that we would grab these truths, apply them to our life. God, help us today. All the parents who are here, all of the kids who are here, all of us who are older but are still kids and we love our mom and dad, help us to know as grown adults who are still children how to honor and how to love and how to appreciate our families. God, for people who are here today and they don't have kids, they're in relationships. God, for those family relationships, friend relationships, let the principles that we discover today apply to so many different areas. Holy Spirit, have your way today. This is your time. God, we love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray it. Everybody say amen. Amen, 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 and amen. Let's do this. This is one big thing. Write this down. It's the one big thing that I want you to put into your head, sear into your heart today about parenting. Here it is. Parents, don't be perfect. Be present. Parents, don't be perfect. Be present. We're going to learn a very powerful truth. This is simple, but it's not stupid. It's simple, but it's not simplistic. How can we become more and more present with our kids, no matter the age, no matter the age, the style changes, but we still want to be present. So here we go. This is Proverbs 22, six, train up a child. Everybody say train, train up a child in the way he should go. 
Now, I'm reading this, we are reading this from the amplified version. It doesn't mean like guitar amp, Bible turned up to 10. Amplified provides more adjectives, a little more language to help you understand meaning of a verse. So that's why you see these brackets. It's actually in the Amplified version this way. Train up a child in the way he should go, teaching him to seek God's wisdom. Teaching him or hers, as boys and girls, teaching him to seek God's wisdom and will. For his abilities and talents, even when he is old, he will not depart from it. I want to share with you a quote. I came across this researching this message from a Bible commentary. The author, D.A. Garrett, he writes this. In this scripture, old, it doesn't mean after he is elderly. Okay, this doesn't mean like you raise up the child the way you should, and then as a young adult, an adult, they go nuts crazy. But then finally, at the very end of their days, when they're 97 years old, they finally come back and serve the Lord. That's not what it means. Check this out. Old does not mean after he is elderly. The point after verse 6 is that he will build on fundamental principles as he grows up in the right way. The hold could be translated, train a child in a manner befitting a child. And even as he grows up, he will not turn from it. And that's one of the challenges in parenting, right? The way that you parent a newborn is different than the way that you parent a two-year-old, which is different from the way you parent middle schooler and high schooler, somebody who's college student, somebody who's an adult, somebody who's 30 years old, the roles stay the same as parent and child, but the style, it changes. It has to change. But that's part of the challenge is parents, sometimes we get stuck and we treat the old one like we did when they were five. Or we go too fast and we treat them like they are older than they are. And so there's wisdom in trying to figure out as a parent what's the right move based on where they are now. That requires a lot of work from a parent perspective. So in training someone, the most basic part of training anyone to do anything is being present. It's hard to train them if you're not around. Got to thinking about that. And my mind went back to when the boys were in Becky's belly. This is in between Sydney and the boys. We were living in Baton Rouge, and I decided after Sydney was born, I was going to try to learn the sport or the art of karate. <laughs> karate. So I find this place. I, I looked around a couple of different places, and I go to this dojo, and, and I watch a couple of different times, and I decide this is the one for me. And that's where I meet my it sounds weird saying this out loud, my sensei. <laughs> I don't know why it sounds weird, but my sensei. Now, I was studying a very traditional style of karate, Japanese traditional karate. And so my sensei's name, it made a lot of sense, Sensei Dan. It's very, very traditional Japanese name, Sensei Dan. So Sensei Dan, he started immediately training me on how to move and how to stand, and how to block, and how to, how to breathe. And I remember him working a lot on what he called the eight 
basic blocks. They're just very fundamental defensive moves, which turn into offensive moves. But we would work on, on these blocks all the time. Now imagine if my sensei, Dan, after I work for, you know, a couple of months, he comes to me and he goes, you're amazing. You're the best I've ever seen. I think that you were the best blocker I have ever seen in the entire history of martial arts, right? Let's say that he builds me up like that and then I make a mistake, right? And it come to find out he's wrong. I'm not the best blocker in the world. I get punched in the face. It's going to change how I feel about him a lot. It's going to change my confidence a lot. We're going to get into that a little bit later. But the first fundamental point of all of this is, since Dan was there, he didn't delegate his presence away to somebody else. It was his purpose. It was his responsibility to be there. That is his purpose, to be there, showing me how to move. He didn't give me a link to go watch something on YouTube. He was present. He was watching every little thing. And let me tell you, he did not hand compliments out for free. Very rarely would he hand out a compliment. But he was present. Everybody say present. He was present. He was there. He was showing me. And sometimes, parents, I just got to say this because I felt it. Sometimes when we feel out of our depth or we feel like I don't know what to do or I feel like I might shank it into the tree on my very next swing, sometimes we're tempted to pull away out of fear that we mess them up. Sometimes we feel like, well, it's better to not do anything than to try something and to mess them up for life. So we pull back. And what do we do? We hire other people to take our place. Okay, we'll do this sport. Okay, we'll meet this coach. And okay, well, here's your teacher. I want to challenge you to never, never, never delegate away your responsibility to be present and to train your child. The question isn't, is your child being trained? That's not the question. The question is, who is training them right now? If you aren't, who is? There isn't a gap Who's training them right now? Answer that question. Who are the most influential things, the influential people, the influential organizations training your children? Have you accidentally delegated away your responsibility to school? Is school training your child? Are their friends training them? Is social media training them? TikTok training them? YouTube training them? Gaming culture training them? Porn that can live on the phone in the pocket training them? Have we delegated away our responsibility to train our children because we're scared we might mess it up? The most fundamental thing that we have to hold close is being present with our children. We cannot delegate away our responsibility to train them in the way that they should go. You don't have to be perfect but you have to be present. You can't quit trying. Be present, be present, be present. So how can we do this? Two ways I wanna challenge you to train your kiddo. Here's the first one, write this down. 
train them by modeling the way. So in the scripture, look at this. Train up a child in the way he should go, training him to seek God's wisdom and will for his abilities and talents. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Train them by modeling the way. It's interesting in this scripture. Train up a child in the way. I don't want to get too zoomed in on this in this particular scripture, but just from a big picture perspective, in the way makes me think about a couple of things. Train a child up in the way. When Jesus said in the New Testament, John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Many times as Christians, we hear him say that, and we just think in our head, Jesus is the road and the path. He is the only path. It's a directional statement. Like Jesus is the way. Road sign, Jesus way, that's the only way to heaven, and that's true. But what if Jesus also meant, I am the way, and this is how you should live and pattern yourself? So it's not just a directional statement. Could it also be a behavioral statement? I am the way. You Star Wars nerds in the house, Mandalorian, this is the way. This is the way you behave. And as disciples of Jesus, apprentices of Jesus, it's not just about signing up for a directional way. It's about saying, I want to be with him. I want to be like him. And I want to do as he did. I am the way. Also interesting in the New Testament, after Jesus was crucified, died, put in the grave, risen from the dead, ascended into heaven, believers started to come together to form the first church. Now, do you know what they called the people that came together to form the first church? It's not Christian. Christian is used like one or two times. They called them people of the way. Those of the way. I just think it's interesting. I'm not trying to be too specific or particular. I just find it interesting. Train the child up in the way. Not just directional, but behavior, pattern. So, train them by modeling the way. Sociologist Alan Bloom says this. Fathers and mothers have lost the idea that the highest aspiration they might have for their children is for them to be wise. As priests, prophets, or philosophers are wise. Specialized competence and success are all that they, most fathers or mothers, can imagine. I've been thinking about this quote. And the more I thought about it, the more I started to agree with it. You know, in America, in our culture, as parents, we want our kids to be successful. I mean, I want my boys and I want my daughter to be crazy successful. But sometimes when we think about that, we just think they need to be educated. I'm pro-education. But we think it's got to be education. Oh, you know what? They've got to be a well-rounded person. Oh, really? Those business leaders of you in the house, when was the last time you really wanted a well-rounded person? You wanted somebody that was really, really good at one or two, maybe three things. You think, well, maybe they need to be really good at extracurriculars, you know, sports. Nothing wrong with sports. I play sports. My boys play sports. But it's turned into like, man, it is all about the sports. 
And we've got to disciple them in the way of soccer and lacrosse and all this stuff. And we pick little things like you've got to be a champion in piano, a champion in gymnastics, or a champion in sports, or maybe it's academia, it's scholastic stuff for you. What is your thing? And we just fixate on these very specific competencies as parents, and we forget that the most important thing that we can teach our children is the wisdom of loving God with all of their heart, soul, mind, and strength. Listen to me, parents. It is not your goal to raise your child and say, my child is an athlete and they follow Jesus. That's backwards. As followers of Jesus, you raise a follower of Jesus who is really good at soccer. A follower of Jesus who's an athlete. A follower of Jesus who excels in academics. A follower of Jesus that turns into a doctor, lawyer, teacher, writer, landscape designer, arborist, whatever it is. They are a follower of Jesus seeking the wisdom of loving God with all of their heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then everything else. That is your responsibility. It is not a coach. It is not a teacher. It is not me. It is not go kids. That is your responsibility. And we can never delegate that away, go church. They're too precious. God has put you as their mom and their dad. Not because they're perfect. Not because you'll never make a mistake. But because God knows. Even though sometimes it doesn't feel like it. You are who they need. They are your child, and God's going to use you more than you know to influence the direction of their life. Don't delegate it away. Model the way. Model the way. The second thing, write this down. Train them with praise they deserve. Now, some of you might get mad at me for this, but I love you enough to say it anyway. <laughs> I love you enough to push you, challenge you, see God's best for you. My mom, she told me this much later, but she was like, I, I told you that you were great way too much. You were like first son, my first kid. She said, I ruined you. <laughs> like, thanks, mom. Okay, we are going to train them with praise they deserve. Work with me on this. Psalm 138, 14. I want to just read this to you. This is a psalmist acknowledging God's creative ability for himself. He's saying, I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. I don't think the psalmist is egotistical and full of himself. He's acknowledging that God is amazing in his creative abilities. So I think that, yes, we should teach our kids that they are valuable, that they are made in the image of Christ, that they have wonderful potential, but it's easy to cross the line and hurt them. Now, remember, we're going to go back to the sensei now. Sensei Dan, he modeled the way. He showed me, then he instructed me, he corrected me, he rebuked me. He would never tell me good job unless it was. Is very rare. Usually it was like, you're doing it less wrong than you were last week. <laughs> Thanks, I think. But imagine if Sensei Dan did this. 
early on in my karate career, we bring the example back. I'm working on my blocks. I'm working on my rising block. I'm working with Sensei Dan. And Sensei Dan comes up and he's like, Nick, that is the most perfectly executed rising block I have ever seen. The power is there. The intensity is there. You are the best practitioner of the rising block I have ever seen in my life. And I'm feeling awesome, right? I'm like, I'm the best. And then imagine later on in practice, which actually happened, we're doing some drills and I get punched right in the mouth. All of a sudden I realize I am not the best rising block practitioner on the earth. In fact, what he said was a lie. It's not true. See, what happens with us as parents is we love our kids, right? We want them to feel good. So we tell them things like, you're just the best. You're the, you're the prettiest of the prettiest. You're the handsomest of the handsome. You're just so strong. You're probably the strongest of all. The, you're just so strong. That's when they're like 18. But we brag and we brag and we brag. You're just the best little rising blocker I've ever seen in the whole life. Yes, you are. But they're not. They're not the prettiest, they're not the strongest, and they're not the smartest. They only figure that out later. So we're wanting them to feel good, but it's easy to cross the line. And when we do, when we cross the line and we tell them things that are not yet true, it robs them of confidence. If Sensei Dan would have told me that, and then later that night, I'm trying to just rising block my heart out, I get punched right in the mouth. I'm going to think, oh, geez. Well, obviously, I'm, I'm not very good at this. And what he told me was a lie. So now I can't hardly trust anything Sensei Dan says. And now I'm having a trouble. Well, do I even want to stay here? This is dumb. When we give out compliments on the cheap, it takes away what they're really intended for. So I want to challenge you with a couple of things today. Write this down. It's not a blank. Just write it down. When praise is cheap, it robs your kids of confidence. So here's what we do. I am not cold-hearted. I never want my kids to feel good kind of a person. Write this down. Here's what we do. It's better to praise the process than the person. So go back to Sensei Dan. Instead of saying, you're just the best rising block practitioner I've ever seen. You know what he could say, if it were true, is I see that your intensity and your effort is way better than it was last week. Good job. It's true. It's trackable. I understand what he means. Maybe he says, I noticed that you stayed after practice last week for an hour working on your rising block. That's the kind of stuff it's going to take to get better and better. I'm proud of that. That's true. That's real. That's something that I can take to the bank and cash that thing. Okay, I, I know what to do now. Now I'm starting to get some guidance. Now I'm starting to get some momentum. Now I'm starting to know what to do. But when we hand it out on the cheap, it confuses them. They think they're the best in the world, but then they go to school and they realize, well, they're not the smartest. They go and they show up at practice and they realize they're not the fastest. And then coach comes over and wants to teach them something or teach them a technique. And they are reluctant to learn because they're confused. Like, well, I'm already the best. What are you going to tell me? And then they're uncoachable. And we've accidentally caused the problem ourselves. It's almost like we love our kids too much. 
So my challenge to you today is to catch them doing good. As parents, listen to me, y'all, parents. We're good at catching our kids doing bad stuff. How easy is it to catch your kid doing something they shouldn't do? Parent, can I see a hand in the air right now? You better raise your hand right now or you're a liar. I'm just telling you right now. It's easy. And we catch them on this stuff all the time. And we talk to them about it all the time, right? How in the world could you, why are you doing this? How can we have it cleaned up? We catch them all the time. We are a magnificent detective of catching the wrong. What if we were as good at catching the good as we were the bad? There's good in there. There's good happening. You just have to be able to catch it and to see it and to see it happen. For example, let's say that your student, your son, your daughter, they're not in the starting lineup. But of their own free will, they decide they're working harder. They're staying after. They're talking to coach. They're putting in the effort. They work their way into the lineup. That's when you say, you know what? I have seen your effort over the last three weeks, and I'm so proud of that effort. I'm so proud of that intensity. I'm so proud of you investing that time. That is what it's going to take to continue to be successful. I'm proud of that. You see, that hits different than just, oh, you're the best of the best, and they just get beat out all the time. When you see your kid who's a follower of Jesus going to a school where it is challenging sometimes to live out a Christian faith, to live the way that Jesus wants you to live. Sometimes in some of our environments at work or at school and culture, life, friends, sometimes it's a challenge. Maybe you catch your kid making a godly decision in the middle of a difficult environment. You say, I saw you do that. I saw the other kids doing this and you decided to do that. I'm so proud of you for not just following the crowd for following your convictions. I'm proud of that. Maybe they dig their way out of a D or an F and turn it into an A or a B. I'm so proud of you going to that teacher. I'm so proud. So you move away from like, you're just the best student of all to where you give out compliments as much as you can, but it's based on reality and it's based on their effort and it's based on their performance and it's real. That is the kind of affirmation that makes a difference in their life. So teenagers, let me talk to you. If you're here today and you have been a teenager in your, whole, in your life, can I see a hand you've been a teenager before? Let me see a hand you've been one. Okay, all the teenagers in the house, and we have some here today. I want you to know from me that I got nothing but love for you. I don't expect you to be perfect. Nobody's perfect. I don't expect you to be perfect. I want you to have some grace for yourself, teenagers, that you have never been a teenager before. This is your first chance of you experiencing teenager years is as a teenager, right? Now, I want you to feel that for a minute and then think about your mom and dad. Many of the parents, many of your parents, teenagers, are parents of teenagers for the first time. So you're a rookie at being a teenager, and they're a rookie at being a parent of a teenager. So my challenge to both of you today, all of us, is this. Can we find some extra God grace for each other? 
You're not perfect teenager. And guess what? Neither are your parents. Have grace for them. Parents, have grace for your teenager, for your kid. And together, let's remember that God is our father, that we as parents have a role to train them up in the wisdom of what it means to love God, heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the way you do that is modeling the way. You live it. You live, that's the first step. You model the way. You do it. You do it. You can't delegate that away. When you get up and you pray and they see that, it makes a difference. When you start studying the Bible, they see that, it makes a difference. When you decide, I'm going to come to go church, and I'm not just going to come, I'm going to serve, I'm going to get involved, and they see you do that, and then you challenge them to do that, when they see you making these decisions, you are training them, and the opposite is true. If every time that you're tired, you skip out on the God things, every time that you just got a million things to do, God's on the back burner, guess what they're going to do when they're 30? You want them to be generous, but you don't give it all? You want them to have certain virtues, but you're unwilling to pay the price and learn how to model it yourself? If it's important for you, parent, it's not an option for them to opt out. If school is important to you, is it an option for them to skip? Is it an option for them to skip practice? Is it an option for them to skip the game? Is it an option for them to skip work? Is it an option for them to skip community and church and God when they're tired or when they're stressed or when something else is going on? You are modeling the way for good or for distraction. Check yourself. We have to check ourselves as parents because we are training them one way or the other. So model the way. Let's pray. God, help us in this. God, help me be Help me to be the best dad I've ever been this year. Help me, God. Help me to find the right patience, the right perspective. Help me to see the things. Help me to catch my kids doing good. Help me to catch other kids, other teenagers doing good and to give them that affirmation that helps them move in the right direction. God, help us as families dig deep, put you first, do a gut check today as a parent, come to the to the feet of, of you, Jesus, to come to the foot of the cross and say, I'm here, I want to learn, I want to be forgiven, I want to change, God, help me. And God, I pray into the future, 5, 10, 15, 20 years from now, that the teenagers we have now are going to turn into the young adults, they're going to turn into the business people, they're going to turn into the married couples, into the parents, into the grandparents, that you want them to be and that we can help them become that by training them up in the wisdom of you. Help us. Help us, God. Parents in the house, if you're here today and God has challenged you, he has challenged you to make a change as a parent. You have felt him touch your heart. Can I see a hand in the air? Just thought anybody looking around, I just wanna see where you're at. Yeah. Yes, and I'm proud to see the guys in the house. The dad's in the house. Proud of y'all. Now I want to ask all the teenagers. I want to ask all the children in the house. If God has touched your heart, if you're willing to find a little more grace for your parent, your family, can I see a hand in the air? Students in the house. Yeah. I see a lot of students in the house. I, I see my own kids raising their hand. That makes me feel good. 
Let's have grace radiate in the place where we support each other. We love each other. The most important relationship you could ever have is one with Jesus Christ. Most important one, God our Father sent his one and only son that you and I could be forgiven, could be transformed on this earth, to be with him forever. He lived a perfect life, a mistake-free life that you and I could never live. And while we were sinners, he gave that life for us. The Bible says if you'll confess with your mouth that he is Lord, if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. Jesus gave his life on the cross. He was buried in a tomb. God raised him back to life in three days. And he has a plan for you, and that's for you to know him and to live this life in wisdom. Wisdom of knowing what it means to love him with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And I want to give you an opportunity to pray a prayer of faith right now. If you're ready to submit yourself to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, to make him the Lord and the leader of your life, I want you to pray this prayer with me right now. Say, Jesus, thank you for speaking to my heart. I ask that you would forgive me of every sin. I am making you the Lord and the leader of my life. I'm going to live for you the rest of my days. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer, would you put a hand in the air? I want to see where you're at. Yeah, yeah, I see you and you and you and you and you and you and you. And God is doing something in this place. Can we give God just a round of applause and say, God, we love you. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for being a father. Thank you for teaching us. Come on, let's stand up. Thanks again for listening to this week's message. To stay in the know with Go Church, be sure to follow us on Instagram and Facebook at letsgo.church. You can also download our app from the App Store by searching Go Church. Have a great week and God bless.